drug, 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 drug. <laughs> yeah, it's a great day. Uh, and God bless those of you that showed up at nine. So, um, sorry. sorry. Sorry about that. Um, we, we tried to get the announcement out, so uh, that's awesome. I um, want to continue our series today. Uh, we're, we're doing a series on the parables of Jesus. Pastor Trent explained that last week. We're taking a few Sundays here and just sort of taking a deeper look at the parables of Jesus. And when we talk about and attempt to interpret the, para- ter- the parables... You know, I have, a, I have kind of a conviction. Years ago, uh, we took a class uh, in our master's uh, degree program. We, we took a class called The Parables of Jesus in a Jewish Context. All right? Now, that little last part is very important in a Jewish context. And the whole idea of that class was is that for like 1,500 years, the church has done something that's probably been the most popular way of interpreting uh, parables, and that is is to take a parable and to kind of allegorize the parable to a church-age concept, all right? So you, you take the parable and you make each item in the parable something that would pertain to the church age, and, and, and for that, it sort, of, it sort of overlaid itself from century to century, and, and the parables kind of took a turn in the way they were interpreted, if you interpret it that way. And so this particular class discouraged us from doing that. Boy, y'all got a, like a whole row right there, the Weeks clan right there. That's just great. So, so the, uh, I just looked down there. Ah! <laughs> but, um, you know, the, the, what happens is, is then this class kind of discouraged that type of interpretation for the parables because it really sort of takes it away from the original intent. Like, what did the original audience hear? I mean, I think that's an important question. Like, when Jesus was teaching the parables, he was teaching them specifically to a particular audience. And that audience would never have allegorized church aid stuff because Jesus had yet to um, establish the church. Matter of fact, he was still saying, upon this rock, I will build my church. He, he's still looking to the future for the church. And so, in interpreting the parables, at least in my, in my conviction, in interpreting the parables, I think it's important for us to examine what did the original audience hear, and then how do we take what they heard and apply it in a contemporary context, all right? And that's really what we do with Scripture anyway. And so, we're treating the parables in a, in a way that honors what Jesus was really teaching the original audience, while at the same time it mines out of that parable the, uh, the truth that, that lasts forever within the context of that parable. And so Pastor Trent did, that, did a fantastic job with that last week. So let's give Pastor Trent a hand because he did a fantastic job doing that. Doing that. So, you know, here's, here's really the thing. What did the first century Judith, Jewish audience hear and receive from that parable? Now, for some parables... Jesus made it very easy. Uh, not all parables are allegory, but the parables that were to the original audience, Jesus, on several of them, explained the allegory. He said, well, this stood for this and this stood for this. Because the disciples were like, what in the world did that mean? And Jesus was like, well, this meant this and this meant this. And then they went, oh, I get it. You know? So, so some of the parables, Jesus explained what he meant. Uh, 
some of the parables were put within a particular context. So you can see the context. And, and, then, and then the more difficult ones um, are the ones that don't have either one of those things. And so you really kind of have to historically look at what was being dealt with within the framework of the entire, maybe even the entire chapter, maybe even two chapters. You have to kind of frame the parable in there, all right? Now, today I want to talk about one of the parables in which Jesus gave the context, all right? So this, everybody, everybody say, this is a no-brainer parable. No, it's just a no-brainer. You don't, you, don't you don't even have to try to allegorize or try to figure out. That Jesus just said, this is, what, this is what I'm teaching, all right? Which is, which is real important. And I'll have to admit to you today, um, I'm a little biased this week on this parable because on Monday I traveled back to Colorado Springs with uh, our oldest son Baylor and, and his wife Charity and, and they run a, a prayer room at a ministry called Every Home for Christ and, and Baylor and them are part of Acts. There's like two or three ministries now that are basing out of, of that complex but there's a prayer room in there and, and, and they do prayer uh, like all day but there's a session of the prayer from 6 a.m. to noon. They, they have live bands in there. And, and I actually this week have spent uh, seven hours a day in a, in a prayer meeting. All right? And so I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning that up front because in that context for me, in this seven-hour-a-day prayer meetings that I was involved in, uh, I actually, uh, I actually put this sermon together in, in there. So anyway, so you know, just to let you know, and I might be a little off the chain. So just to let you know for that too. But of course, it's been a long time since I've had ten o'clock church. So I mean, I just really did, and it's been a long time since I didn't get to practice on first church. Like you do it at first church. If something don't work, don't do it at second church. Right? You know, like back up. So Luke 18 is our parable. Everybody check this out. Luke 18, verse 2. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who, was neither, who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me. I will see that she gets justice so she won't eventually come and attack me. That's persistence. It's a simple story. This parable, a simple story about a widow woman who desired justice in her life so much that she absolutely refused to take no for an answer. And in the ears of the disciples, this, this story, once again, is very similar to what Pastor Trent was talking about last week. It, it, it once again holds a significance because the central character of this story is a woman. And I mean, for many Bible scholars, and maybe even um, in, in your Bible, if you have margins or, or headings uh, throughout this, uh, this parable is called the parable of the unjust judge. Has everybody ever heard it called that? The parable of the unjust judge. In a lot of modern translations, they, um, and this is what I 
prefer to, to call it. They, they actually call it the parable of the persistent widow. The parable of the persistent widow. And, and, and when we think about that, there's an understanding here. That the central character here is not the judge. The judge plays a secondary role in this parable as the one whom Jesus is describing could grant the justice. But the central character in this parable is the woman. The widow woman who desired justice in her life for whatever reason. And I think we could probably mine some of that in a first century context and even in some countries in our world today. Women were considered a second-class, lower-class citizen. Matter of fact, the whole, the whole context here with the woman is sort of surprising, or it would be surprising to a group of men who Jesus was teaching this parable to. Was They would think, a woman? Well, no wonder the judge ignored her for a season. She's a woman. Well, no wonder the judge was reluctant to answer her plea, because she's a woman. Now, I know that's hard That's hard. Listen, that's not the way it is here, right? You know? But you got to wrap your head around something here. In In biblical context, there was no women's liberation movement. All right? There, there, there wasn't this, there wasn't equality. And I mean, you can even, like I said, you can even go to countries in our world today, especially in the Middle East. You, same context. 2,000 years later, they still treat women like this. I mean, it would be kind of shocking for us to recognize that, that, that one Middle East country recently celebrated the fact that women were finally allowed to drive. I mean, I'm talking about in this year, in 2018, they voted to let women have a driver's license. Went, you know, that's shocking to us, but, but it would not be shocking. What, what's more shocking in, this, in the context of this parable is the fact that it was a widow woman. So she had lost the central figure in her life that was the authority of the house. I mean, think about it for a second here. Here's a, here is a widow woman who is seeking justice in a society that pretty much pushed women to the, to the edge. Even in a societal context, most of the time the women were just there to serve the men. I'm surprised I didn't have like 50 women gasp just now. To serve the men and to tend to the children. That's just it. You know, a wife, a woman was a servant to the men and was the babysitter for the kids. Um, I mean, by and large, men didn't even speak to women outside of the privacy of their own home. I mean, Jesus was even condemned because he spoke to some women in public settings. It was unallowed because you don't speak to women... They don't, they're not worthy in a public setting to be spoken to by a man. Are y'all catching the, the drift here? That when Jesus teaches a parable and he teaches a parable about a widow woman, now we understand the reluctance of the judge. Now we understand the reason why he ignored her request for a season. And how shocking it would be to those disciples for Jesus to spin this thing around and say, but you know what? That judge gave her what she was asking for because she wouldn't quit. That judge granted her request because she wouldn't give up. 
ultimately saying, this woman is so desperate that she may even attack me. All right? And so this is the parable. It's a simple story. It's a simple story about this widow woman who refuses to take no for an answer. And so here Jesus takes all of this. And, and, I, and I, I really want you to hear this, okay? I want you to hear this. Jesus takes one of the then society's least expected individuals to be the one who confronts this judge with tenacity. Least expected. Jesus even admits that the judge ignored her. But then the woman overcomes every obstacle through her perseverance. Matter of fact, check this out. The fact that she was persistently unwilling to quit proved effective for her answer. The fact that she was persistently unwilling to quit. But to quit what? To quit what? What does any of this mean to us today? Well, I think we have to see that this parable is framed. Here comes the context. Jesus made it easy. You don't even need a theology degree to get this one. In order to fully grasp, this parable is bookended by Jesus with context. Matter of fact, look at Luke 18.1. It says this. This is where it starts. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. That Jesus takes the least likely individual from their society and he focuses a story about her persistence because he is teaching the disciples that there is some prayer that is persistent prayer and you should always pray and not give up. And then on the back side of the parable in, in Luke 18.6, he said this, and the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night, Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Will he find faith on the earth? See, this whole parable is wrapped in an emphasis on persistent prayer. The emphasis includes the reality that even if you feel unworthy... Even if you feel like the least likely candidate in the world for for God to do something for you. Jesus points back to a widow woman who was the least likely to receive. But she got what she asked for because she was persistent in her plea. Matter of fact, can I say it like this? Persistent prayer gets results from God. And this shows that sometimes we have to continue in prayer. Everybody say, continue in prayer. I want you to say that. I mean, I'm not trying to treat you like kindergartners. 
I, I was told that by uh, uh, someone one time. They said, you know, you should never, we were in a class, they were talking about preaching or whatever, and they, they, they made the same, you should never, have an, you should never ask your adult audience to re- repeat something back to you because it makes them feel like kindergartners. Did you all just feel like a kindergartner? I'm just forgetting them. Sometimes you need to verbalize what God's speaking to you in your heart. You know, it's, and, and there, are times, there are times in our lives that, that we have to recognize this. That we have to continue in prayer. And that, that's hard for me. I like microwave popcorn Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? You know, but but you know that that it takes a longer. It's a little messier, and it's um, you know there's stuff you got to clean up and all that. But you know what that that movie theater popcorn's better than microwave popcorn. Somebody help me out. You know, there's some you know. But I, I like microwave popcorn. Jesus, just pop him in, give it thirty seconds, and there it is, man. All oh, everything's fine. You know. And there have been times in my life where God answered me in a microwave. There have been times in my life where it was an instantaneous, providential move of God in my life. But I have discovered, and I mean, I don't, I don't want to, to be discouraging anyone, but I have discovered that most of the time it's, it's a slow cook. And that's why Jesus is telling the disciples here that, that I'm going to teach you a story about the most least likely individual in, the, in our society to get an answer. I'm going to teach you a story about her so that you will remember that you should always pray and not give up. Something inside of you would be birthed to recognize that some prayers take persistence. Some prayers take time. Matter of fact, I love the Amplified Bible. Uh, uh, you know, the Amplified Bible is unique among Bibles because <laughs> the translators, the group, the group of scholars that got together to translate for the Amplified Bible, looked at these Greek words and they um, they really kind of just threw. Everything plus the kitchen sink in, right? So, you know, some people get, they, they, they wonder why the Amplified Bible sometimes can, can have so many words. Like, because the scholars want to make sure that every sequence was covered, right? So, they just threw it all in. And, and I love that about it because you kind of get, you kind of get a, a broad perspective of that particular Greek word can mean this, or it can also mean this, or it can also mean this, depending on the context. And so a lot of times, in the Amplified, a lot of times they just put them all in. There are other times in the Amplified Bible, and, and, and this, is, this is one of them. They were very, they were very the, the scholars were very um, adamant about making sure that the, that the verbs were, were put in like correctly. And so and so in, in, in Matthew seven, seven and eight, in a lot of in a lot of Bible translations, but, but I'm just leave that there, but in a lot of Bible translations it just says 
Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. For everyone who asks receives. He that seeks finds to him that knocks. The door shall be opened, right? Okay? And that's a, that's a, a proper interpretation because the context is there. That if you ask, you'll receive. If you'll seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door is opened to you. But now the translators of the Amplified Bible, they, they took note of the fact that the verb... The verb, the Greek verbs used for asking, seeking, knocking, or ask, seek, knock. This is going to be way, but just study it sometime. Um, it's the present. It's a present imperative verb. Okay, the present imperative verb, and the present. In, are y'all okay? Okay. The present imperative verb, by and large, represents a continuing. Okay. A continuing. It's not like a one-time event, but a continuing event. Okay? Matter of fact, matter of fact, the present imperative verb, and, and Pastor Trent ought to be really versed in this because he just went through this in Greek 2 and made an A. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Greek 2, master's degree level. So it, it, it emphasizes, okay? The Greek word, the, the, the fact that it is a present imperative verb emphasizes persistent constant prayer. And so when we read the Amplified Version, instead of it saying, ask and it will be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened, it says this, ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives. And he who keeps on seeking finds. And to him who keeps on knocking, it will be opened. Come on, somebody. you got to feel that today. you got to feel that because there's probably people in the room right now that are starting to get a little discouraged on your 15th trip to the judge. You might be, get, you might be on your 150th trip to the judge. And you're thinking, will I ever get this answer? Will this ever come to pass? Will things ever be okay? And I'm here to preach to you today that the Bible declares to us that those who keep on, see, that's the thing for you, the keep on is what's important. It's the keep on that's what's important. Some people, I've been told this by people. I've been told this. I don't, the Bible doesn't, corroborate it, right? But, but I've been told by people, well, you know what? You, you should only pray once for something and then after that maybe praise, but you should never ask twice. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus said, I'm going to teach you a parable that you should always pray and not give up. And I'm going to use a widow woman who kept asking and kept asking and kept asking and kept asking and kept on, 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 and kept on. Not meaning to move my sermon into the realm of conjecture, but here, and I close with this. I think I've done pretty good on my practice round today. I think there are reasons why. I think there are reasons why sometimes our prayer has to be persistent prayer. 
I think one of those, those reasons could be that our faith is strengthened. Our faith is strengthened in persistent prayer. I mean, if, if everything in our life was just microwave Jesus, then where would the strengthening be? Matter of fact, one of the apostles in, in the epistles wrote it and, and talked about that. After you've suffered a while, it makes you strong and it makes you settled. That there's just something about going through the process of persistent prayer and active faith. That at the end, because you persevered, because you were willing to stick it out, that you were stronger, that your faith is stronger, your faith is built through this process, this process. And I'm telling you today, I don't like that process any more than you do. But I am what I am because of the processes that I've gone through in life. I'm able to minister from the process. I'm able to minister from the process. I'm able to look at people and say, it's going to be okay. How do you know? Because I've gone through something like that. People are able to minister back to me. Say, how do you know it's going to be okay? And they look at me and say, because I've gone through something like that. And our faith is built in such a way that we can actually take from our pain and take from that whole process. We can take from that and we can, we can encourage someone else. In the same line, I, I think we need to understand that we are refined through that process. We are refined through the, through the process of persistent prayer that, you know what, sometimes there's just some things that got to be shaved off. Like, I mean, if God were just to give me that answer immediately, then the refining fire of God's work in my life would never, would never be. So because I struggle with it, because I struggle in that process, suddenly I find some attitudes begin to change. Maybe some ways of thinking, maybe even some actions, maybe some things that I've been doing that, that God steps back and says, now you can't do that. That's not healthy. That's not good for you. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep you in this process until you recognize that what you're doing or what you're saying or how you're acting is not healthy for you. And he refines those things out like a, like a, like a person would refine gold. That's what, isn't that what Job said? Isn't that what Job said? Like, I, man, this process is hard. This process is not good. But when I come forth, I'm going to be pure gold. When I come out of this, all of the impurities, all of the stuff that didn't need to be there will be refined out of, out of my life and I'll be a better man. You'll be a better woman. Just because you had this, keep going back to the judge. Keep going back, keep going back. The third thing, I mean, I could preach on this all day. I told I told someone, I said, this sermon really is really is something that has been burdened me for years. I mean, just I've taught on persistent prayer for 30 years. This is this is the thing that, that you have to you have to really grasp 
those first two are pretty easy to understand, but, but, but the, third, the third one, that the principal elements have to be repositioned. Why is there a need for me to keep my faith in, in a persistent prayer mode? The reality is, let me explain, principal elements have to be repositioned. Let me say it like this. God has to move things around. God has to move things around, and sometimes that takes time. And let me admit something to you. Let me admit to you. Let me admit, that sometimes the thing God has to move around is me. Sometimes the thing God has to move around is me because I thought what I wanted, what I'm praying for is, is what I think I need. And God's like, nah, that's not what you need. So I'm going to move things around. And, and, and sometimes it's even in my own heart that God has to reposition me to accept whatever his answer is that whatever his answer is I'm willing you know and sometimes what I'm praying is directly in the will of God but he has to move other people around like he has to reach out and touch someone come on somebody he has to reach over here and he has to move this person here and he has to move this thing here and he has to take this thing up here and he's got to reposition and a lot of times it, human wills are involved and he's got to speak to people in the middle of the night and they think, man, what was that dream? What was that all about? It's God repositioning things. Repositioning things. Either in me or or in other people, or in circumstances. The Bible says that they that wait on Him will renew their strength. This is the question. This is my question for you today. And I close with this. Are you willing to keep the faith when your prayer has to be persistent? I think that's the sad tale to the end of the explanation. The sad tale in Jesus' heart as He explained this, that... You're going to go through some stuff, man. And you're going to have to go to the judge time and time again. And sometimes the answer is not going to be what you thought it was going to be. But, but if you'll just hang in there, you'll discover that God has all things in his hands. And God's going to take care of you. And you're going to find God's going to meet justice out for you. It's going to happen. But then Jesus stops and says, he ends it. He ends this discourse on persistent prayer by saying, when I come... Will I find faith on the earth? Am I going to find anyone that's willing? Or is everybody just going to give up? Is everybody just going to quit? You're just going to throw in the towel, throw in your faith. You're going to throw it in and say, you know, it's not worth it. It's too hard. Jesus looked at a group of disciples and said, am I going to find anyone? Am I going to find anyone? And that's the big question. Are you willing to keep the faith when your prayer has to be persistent? I have a feeling I'm talking to some people in the room today that are. I think just like those disciples, Jesus would discover, and, and it was proven in history, that those disciples were willing to go through even death without losing their faith. That they were willing to lay everything down and keep praying and keep believing. And keep, I love what Peter said in his epistle. Peter talked about, look, I'm about to leave. And I want you to know we're not following cunningly devised fables. And I'm praying for you that you'll keep the faith when I'm gone. Paul did the same thing. My time is up. I've run my race. A crown of life is waiting for me. And I'm praying for you that you'll keep running.
that you'll keep running. Don't lose the faith. It takes persistence. But don't lose the faith. And I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you that you're going to keep the faith. Yeah, Jesus, when the Son of Man comes, yes, he will find faith. Why? Because there's a group of people who are not just believing for microwave Jesus. There's a group of people that say, you know what? If Jesus got me in the crock pot of life, I mean, if I'm in the slow cook crock pot of life, I'm not losing faith. I'm just going to keep believing and I'm going to keep going to the judge and I'm going to keep praying. I'm just going to keep knowing that at the end of all of this, I will find justice. Jesus promised it at the end of it. You will find justice. I wonder if you'd stand with me this morning. Oh, man, I feel such a sweet touch of the Holy Spirit. And I told y'all, I warned you, man, this whole sermon was birthed in a, on the second day, on the second day of consecutive seven-hour prayer meetings. So I feel such a touch of the Lord. And I just want to pray for us. And I want to believe today that, that whatever you may face, whatever... I may face whatever we may face, that we will be willing, that we will be willing to just persevere. (laughs) Just persevere. And believe that God is going to bring justice to our circumstance. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, today, the real prayer in my heart for our church, for these people, The real prayer in my heart is that you would bathe us with a spirit of tenacity. That we would be counted among the people that can say, yes, Jesus, when you come, you're going to find faith in the earth because there's going to be faith in me. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to faint. I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm going to keep going back. If I have to pray 10 times, I'll pray 10 If I have to pray a hundred, I'll pray a hundred. If it's a thousand, if it's a hundred thousand, if it's a million, I'm going to keep praying and I'm going to keep believing. Through that process, I'm going to be strengthened. Through that process, I'm going to be refined. Through that process, I'm going to be positioned and repositioned. And other elements in my life are going to be positioned and repositioned. That's the prayer I pray for every person in this room right now. That's the prayer that I declare over every life, over every heart. I especially reach out to those today who are facing trying circumstances. And I just pray a spirit of tenacity on them. That they'll go to you one more time and one more time and one more time and one more time. Not going to quit. Not going to give up. Going to keep praying. Going to keep believing. I declare in Jesus' name that your righteousness would rest in every one of our hearts that you would bless us and keep us and help us. In Jesus' name. I wonder before you before you open your eyes, I feel like there's somebody in the room today that wants a fresh start with the Lord. You just say, you know what, Pastor? I just want to recommit my life. I want to I want to maybe even commit my life for the first time. I just want to, I just want to pray a simple prayer with the church today that'll kind of kickstart me in my faith. And, and give me a fresh start. Would, if that's you, would you just slide a hand? I'm not going to call you forward, I promise. I'm not going to make you walk the aisle. I'm just going to, you're just acknowledging, that's me, Pastor. I need, a, I need that today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you. 
Church, I wonder if we could all pray together right now. I'm just going to lead those that raise their hand in a simple prayer. And, and pray with me so that they're not singled out. Uh, we really do we really do honor that commitment right now. Could everybody pray, please? Say, Father, I thank you right now for the opportunity I have to believe for a fresh start. I pray the hope of salvation in my heart. As I declare Jesus raised from the dead, as I declare with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, I accept everything you have for me. And I thank you today for accepting me and giving me this fresh start. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen to that. Yeah, let's clap our hands to the Lord. Come on. Amen, amen, amen. In just a few moments, I don't know who's on the